Hello, everybody. Welcome to She-Ra Progressive of Power. As usual, I am Eric. Um, so we're doing something a little different this season, which you might have heard about in our first episode. We're going to alternate kind of episode review type things that we usually do with different kind of one-offs um, because we want to. And sometimes the opportunities present themselves to do cool things. And one of those opportunities came up in the uh, in our off season. So you may have heard that uh, a gentleman by the name of Larry Dottilio passed away. Larry was one of the original um, story editors on She-Ra Princess of Power in the 80s. He wrote a number of great She-Ra episodes that we covered, as well as a lot of great Masters of the Universe episodes. Uh, Larry is one of my favorite uh, cartoon writers of all time. You might have heard me tell a great story at Josie Campbell about how Larry was very nice to me. Um, but outside of animation, it turns out Larry was very well known for his role-playing game campaigns, especially for a game he worked on called Call of Cthulhu uh, and a campaign he wrote called Masks of Nylanthrotep. That is a mouthful. I can't believe I said that correctly. You didn't. I didn't say it correctly, as our guest is about to explain. <laughs> so what we're, what we're doing here today is uh, we're going to do a little tribute to Larry in a way that I thought would be cool. Because like, we could go back and talk about some of his old She-Ra episodes or He-Man or whatever. But I thought the coolest thing to do would be to dive into this role-playing world that he created. Actual play podcasts are all the rage. We're going to try one. Uh, and so obviously here to co-pilot that with me is my co-host forever and ever. Uh, please welcome Lauren. It co-hosts forever and ever. Even when there's no more She-Ra, we'll just come back here and be co-hosts. We'll talk about something. The co-host with the co-most, as they say. Boo! Boo! Uh, and joining us in the studio is my dear friend who literally he um, works with the company that publishes Call of Cthulhu currently, Mr. Logan Dean. Hi, yeah. So Call of Cthulhu, why, why don't you introduce what Call of Cthulhu is, first of all? Uh, so Call of Cthulhu is a uh, ro tabletop role-playing game, TTRPG, um, made in the early 80s uh, that pits normal people, investigators, against the horrors of an uncaring cosmos in the vein of an H.P. Lovecraft-type world. Um, it's called horror role-playing in H.P. Lovecraft's fiction, but H.P. Lovecraft's kind of a problematic figure, so I just kind of coast with a horror theme. Uh, but yeah, it's very popular. It's one of the... I'd say it's probably the second most popular role-playing game in the world um, behind the big one. We all know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's got and, two Ds in it. And... Now, Larry's uh, campaign that I mispronounced, that was, you were familiar with that. Like, that, that is historic in the world of Call of Cthulhu. Absolutely. So, Larry wrote, co-wrote a campaign called uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep, which is widely considered one of the greatest role-playing campaigns ever written. You're really close. Um, really close. That is this globe-trotting campaign to stop an evil conspiracy uh, from... Uh, coming to fruition and the investigation elements and the uh it's it's a meat grinder uh in tabletop terms in that like people buy a lot in it but the overall story is so intriguing and so well done uh that it's been played hundreds of thousands of times by so many people over the last 30 years um it just got a reprinting it's its third edition um 
yeah, people love it. it. It's it's won awards. It's been cited as one of the best tabletop role playing experiences anyone can ever have. Um, as a keeper who's played it, like and is currently running it, it's a beast. The thing is huge. The new edition is six hundred and sixty six pages. It covers two hardcover volumes. Um, the original edition, I have the original edition too, or I have the second printing. Um, is not as long, but it is still very thick and dense and like very good. And so when I asked Logan if he could like do a one shot of masks to run for us, he was like, "No." <laughs> I mean, I had to say no to stop from laughing. At you. But what we what Logan has done very graciously is um, created a one shot campaign inspired by masks, but also for inspiration, uh, Logan was very kind and watched the Masters of the Universe two-parter, House of Shakoti, which uh, Larry kind of yanked from another RPG campaign of his. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I know we've seen some He-Man on this show that isn't great. We usually watch He-Man as a counterpoint, but House of Shakoti actually pretty good, right? It was Logan? solid, yeah. Uh, weirdly, um, a lot like Masks of Nyarlathotep. <laughs> Uh, so we have all picked characters, and we are joined by two previous guests who we like a lot and who also are uh, very... We like all of our previous guests a lot. <laughs> Let's just be clear. Okay, true. These two also <laughs> like to game, which we knew for a fact when we yes. asked them. We don't know if that's true of all of our guests. So who have we got around the table here today? Uh, we have uh, Jacob Torbeck from, I don't know what season was I on, season two? Season two, the Shadow Weaver episode. Yeah, I love me some Shadow Weaver. Uh, well, on the Shadow Weaver episode, what were some of the, the key points we went over? Do you remember? Other than that Shadow Weaver's amazing and our yeah. favorite? Oh, we well, talked about religion, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I do. I'm a professional theologian. We talked about uh, religion uh, and technology, like magic and science. Um, as a sort of force in the Shiro world. We talked about Shadow Weaver's sort of tragic flaw, uh, which is that she never waits. Uh, a lot of the episodes we watched were about Shira waiting for the right moment for something to do it, and Shadow Weaver just never waiting. Um, and how, uh, what was it? Hordak instrumentalizes magic like Donald Trump instrumentalized religion in the 2016 campaign. Absolutely. Well, and I think I wanted to bring it up, not only to remind our guests, uh, I mean, our listeners, who you were, but Shadow Weaver is absolutely that in the new series, too. And we haven't really circled back to talk about that with you. <laughs> well, that's true. We should do a follow-up. Anyway. Cool. We're going to see some good Shadow Weaver this season, it looks like. So we can't wait to see that. We're also joined by... Uh, Marcus Warren. I was, I think, on season one? Yes, yes, you recorded in my house. I recorded it, in, yeah, in a room in Lauren's house. <laughs> we watched Treasure of the First Ones yes. and uh, one other episode with you that I don't remember. It was, um, I cannot remember the title. What is the one called with uh, Madame Raz's ex Oh, that one was so good. That's my it favorite episode. one of episode. my favorites, yeah. Um, I sure don't remember, but yeah, it's Madame Raz's ex-boyfriend. <laughs> it's so sweet. Yes. We and talked we, to Marcus about art. We talked about art. Uh, and a little bit about like art appropriation and the, import, the importance of uh, just like cultural history and what that means. Because I, I think the episode actually took a really uh, kind of respectful look at exactly how to deal with it, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And speaking of the new Shira, the first ones have become relevant in a whole new way. Like they're a big part of the lore now, whereas they were kind of painted on in the original show when the uh, writers needed something. Now they're like baked into the whole cosmology of it, which is cool. So although we don't get Hordak weirdly mispronouncing the first ones. <laughs> like anyway, 
Um, so we have all picked characters that Logan has graciously designed for us based on the two-part House of Shakoti episode, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free legally. Um, but the party in that episode is, of course, He-Man, Man-at-Arms, uh, the palace archaeologist Malaktha, his, uh, like, boy in training whose name I forget. But, oh, Stanlin. Oh, we were supposed to base it off of this episode. I messed up the prompt oh, entirely. Or, or I said either this episode or... Just anywhere, yeah. right? Thank goodness. Yeah, or <laughs> Princess of Power Masters Universe characters. Jeez. But anyway, so three of us went with the episode, and then we have Lauren, the Force of Chaos, down at the bottom. So I'll, I'll start by saying um, Ram Man is in these episodes, and he is a continuing source of comedy because he's very dim-witted. Uh, the moral of one of the episodes revolves around him telling kids not to hit things with their head, uh, which is a great moral. And so I really wanted to be a Ram Man stand-in, so I am playing Rami. He is a footballer. I really love the idea of playing an athlete. In real life, I am not athletic at all, but I'm kind of dumb and I like to hit things. Will be hitting with head multiple yes. times. <laughs> but there's no moral at the end of this episode. Uh, so this is Jacob, and I am playing uh, Wilhelm von Ernst, who is a parapsychologist. Oh, uh, he, uh, in the prompt I sent to Logan, um, was a veteran of the First World War, and so uh, he deals with uh, traumatic dreams and re living through uh, sort of uh, the ravages of what World War I did to, to Europe in those years. And it has turned him to parapsychology, specifically um, uh, hermeticism, esotericism, and uh, dream interpretation as a way of dealing with all of these kinds of things. And so he's, you know, sort of really way too into the occult for his own good. I just want to point out that Jacob and I kind of tried to metagame in creating this character because we heard what Eric was going to do and we went, oh God, someone needs to be able to heal. And we yeah. kind of just made Jacob do that. <laughs> well, I actually noticed when building all of your characters that everyone hit an archetype. <laughs> yeah, we know what's up. This is me trying to type A and pre-plan, yeah. and it's not going to work in my favor. I can already tell. Uh, it, it actually worked out. You have a solid group. Go ahead and finish the run, and I'll tell you how I tweaked you out. So we let, real quick, let's say that Wilhelm is based a little bit on Scanlan, right? Or Stanlin. Yeah, so I was inspired... Um, in part by Malakta, I wanted to be like the sort of sciencey archaeologist type, but I'm like, I want somebody who's a little bit more unhinged, a little bit more uh, irresponsible. Uh, so I'm like, well, Stanlin. Stanlin's the kid who gets into trouble every time. Um, so what if Stanlin, but also a uh, traumatized war veteran who is um, really smart, but also still does all the Stanlin stuff, like running into dungeons that he shouldn't be in? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, this is Marcus, and I'm playing Oliver Hansby, who's an investigative journalist, uh, loosely based on uh, Orco. And I believe in the, uh, the prompt I sent, the idea was uh, kind of a, a journalist who never really asked the correct questions or went to the right places, but uh, <clears throat> still managed to break the story anyway. Like his camera would be pointed in the wrong direction, but he would still manage to get the perfect photograph of the thing that he wasn't even looking at. And uh, just still managed to just be effective, even though he's uh, pretty uh, inept. Real Jimmy Olsen type. Yeah, very Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking Bo, and we were talking Natasa, and then Marcus was like, I know who I'm going to be. Orko. Orko. 
And that leaves Lauren as the one character not found in the House of Shakoti two-parter. Who are you, Well, I'm, I'm here trying to rep a new She-Ra and all of our younger fans, and so I've gone with Elena. Hold on, are you saying Malakta is not a household name right now? <laughs> I'm saying Ram Man maybe doesn't have the following you wished he would. Uh, but <laughs> I am playing Elena, who is an embodiment of Entrapta, and I tried to make her uh, sort of a techie, um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe a support character so she can do a lot of um, piloting and repairs of electric devices and mechanical devices. I tried to take inspiration from, you know, the age of electricity. So you're Nikola Tesla. And I'm glad that uh, I was called the force of chaos, and I'm glad that Logan seems to have picked up what I was putting down because I have a death ray. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess before we get started, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about sure. your show? Uh, again? So I run a show called Low. It is a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast that is slowly morphing into a role playing podcast of <laughs> that isn't really Dungeons and Dragons anymore because we <laughs> stopped playing uh, and just kind of talk and sometimes roll dice. Um, but it's set in a world that I made up called the Silvalon and the city of Boston. And it's about a bunch of um, middling criminals uh, trying to make their way through a very hectic week. Uh, it turns out our whole first season was one week in game. Um, just like the very naked way. ladies predicted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's got uh, myself, Jen Ducharme, uh, Andrew Bentley. Kevin Garrity and Raphael Espinosa, who are great friends and really fun players. And I know from experience how hard Logan works on editing that show. And when I pitched this to him, I was like, I'm going to try to edit an actual play like you do every other week. And I know it's going to take me forever. So, guys, there's a chance you might not hear this till like, let's see, it's April 19th now, maybe June. <laughs> Probably <laughs> that, not that long. Honestly, that's, that's real. <laughs> anyway, let's play. It is 1933, and you are in the middle of the desert. Each of you is part of a Miskatonic University expedition to find a lost tomb or any artifacts led by Dr. Victoria Laird. Wilhelm and Elena are employees of the expedition. Oliver and Rami have come to document it in a journalistic capacity especially after the failed uh, Paybody expedition of 1930-31, which was lost in the Antarctic. That was Miskatonic's last expedition. And so since they lost that expedition, there's been a lot of scrutiny on the school to make sure that they uh, do everything on the up and up. Yesterday uh, was your fourth day in camp. Uh, Dr. Laird and your pilot, Thomas Flanagan, took the single prop. Uh, folding plane that you have for the expedition out on a uh, excursion to see if they could find anything and returned promptly after about two hours. Dr. Laird was incredibly excited saying that they found something in the, uh, about 120 miles south of your encampment and wanted to get a forward team there immediately. Um, you notice that she has a knife with her, an intricate uh, ceremonial dagger that she found on a previous expedition. Um, that she is used uh, to kind of coax Miskatonic into uh, giving her the funding to go on this expedition. She is joined by Thomas Flanagan, your pilot. They are the two, uh, she is the research lead and he is the transportation lead. Um, they have been working together for a long time. They're pretty friendly with each other. There are also a few other scientists, uh, archaeologists, and 
what have you around, but they have asked that the four of you come on this uh, forward mission with them. So in two rounds over the course of the afternoon, the plane's not that big, it can only fit about three people, you make your way 120 miles south to this isolated part of the desert. Once you set up your camp and begin to excavate the site, the first thing you find is a large stone snake's head carved out of uh, this uh, ebony stone. Uh, It is unsettling. It is about eight feet high, and it seems to be part of a a larger structure or statue uh, that it has been removed from as the bottom of it is cut. After about two more hours of digging, you find a wooden door covering a tunnel. This tunnel, when you open it, is uh, dug, not natural, and it looks to be uh, dug with modern materials. Uh, You can tell, Elena, you can tell that there are blasting uh, remnants as well as tool marks on this tunnel. Um, At this point, it's starting to get dark. Um, Dr. Laird and uh, Flanagan suggest that you get ready to camp out because while you were going to return to your regular camp that night, it has now gotten too late, and you should camp out here to get more people in the morning. You close up the hole, retire to your camps, and eat dinner and go to sleep. At that point, you each have a dream, and you can go ahead and each choose a random dream. Spoopy. Don't tell anyone your dream. You all bolt awake at the same exact moment. It is the middle of the night. There's an eerie silence throughout the camp. As you exit your tent, you notice that Dr. Laird and Flanagan are missing. There doesn't seem to be any commotion around the camp. Everything is very still. Uh, You can begin to investigate. So my character is super into dream analysis. Uh, Is there anything that you can tell me Um, regarding my dream lore about my dream. So you believe that what you saw was either influenced by your current surroundings and your bookish nature, and that kind of had a a pivot on your dream and how it was interpreted, and the snake's head statue might have had something to do with it, or, and this is you kind of on a whim, you were foreshadowing something and seeing just a hint of uh, the future. I'm going to pull out my flashlight and start looking around and uh, calling out, uh, you know, Doc, Dr. Laird, Mr. Flanagan. Sure. As you, the, the flashlight lights up the area, uh, the dark night of the, uh, of the desert, and you see that the plane uh, that you flew in is uh, leaking gasoline uh, fuel out of the bottom of the tank. Ooh. Can I uh, tell just how long it seems like it's been doing that based on a, the puddle? There's a large puddle in large the sand. Okay. Uh, it looks to be, it's not leaking anymore. Oh, okay. So it's empty. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a closer look and see what it looks like if something uh, like punctured uh, the gas tank. Yeah, absolutely. There's... It does seem like someone's, like an, uh, some sort of knife okay. stabbed the, the tank. You also notice that the three canisters that were there, two of them are overturned, mm-hmm. uh, emptying out into the desert, and one is missing. Is it worth trying to right the canisters to save any fuel? or If you shake them around, you can tell there's a little bit left, okay. but they look to be deliberately emptied. Okay. Um, you also notice, coming from this area where the, tr- where the cans are, uh, a drag 
through the sand, huh. uh, roughly the size of a canister of gasoline, going towards the hole. Hey, you guys, you guys, come take a look at this. And as you stare and follow the drag, you notice that the door, the wooden door to this tunnel, lies open. Gesture towards the drag mark and the, the open door to everybody else and look mildly uh, frightened. Well, we're not going to be able to get out of here if this plane doesn't fly. Uh, how difficult would this repair be? Is this something that I could feasibly attempt? Yeah, it wouldn't be very difficult to repair the tank. It would be, it's we the just, fact that there is no empty. fuel. Yeah. I don't think we can make it 120 miles on a little bit, little bit of fuel. I don't know. Yeah, you figure you can fix it with a piece of But a of broken tape. plane is no plane. I'd at least like to try. The science. only dice that get like super played in this game are your percentile dice. Uh, so it's the two tens that have 10 and 1 pips on them. Every skill you use in the game, you roll these dice. Uh, and you're trying to roll under the skill you have. So the higher your skill is, the easier it is to accomplish your goal with that die. 16. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big win. You uh, take a piece of, uh, just a, a piece of tape and put it over the hole. Fix it right up. You think it'll at least make you back to camp if you can find the fuel for the tank. Great. Genius. All it took was tape. I could have done that. I doubt it. Well, some, somebody's trying to put us in the, the jackal right here, emptying out the tanks and uh, puncturing, the, uh, puncturing the fuel. Do we know if anyone else had a knife? Because I do know that uh, my boss had a knife, and I don't want to suspect her of anything. She, she's a, a smart and generous person and got us all here, but it is the only knife that I know about. Any of y'all got a knife? Flanagan also carries a knife. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're the only two missing, Tommy and, uh, Tommy and Dr. Dr. Laird. As employees of them... Do uh, either of us scientists know anything about their personality or their motive that might inspire this action off the top of our heads? I would let Wilhelm take a psychology role. That was a 21. Ooh, yeah. Nailed it. You would, after kind of thinking about the past 24 hours, notice that when Dr. Laird returned from uh, surveying, she was very erratic and uh, gung-ho about leaving as soon as possible, which was kind of against uh, all protocols. But because of her enthusiasm, you all kind of jumped up and went out with her. Uh, but in hindsight now, you think maybe that was a little hasty. My God, yeah. She was acting quite funny. I would like to investigate the snake head before we go any further, just to see if there's anything suspicious about it, particularly about the way it's been detached? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you can tell that the way that the, looking at the architecture of the, of the, the head, uh, you can tell the way it was set up is like that of many Egyptian statues and that it was attached to a humanoid form. Um, but it has been removed and it looks like it was removed in one crack, not from sawing or uh, cutting, but from a, an impact, and then probably dragged. Hmm. You'd have to be pretty strong to move this statue. I bet I could do it. <laughs> Doubt it. Oh, no, I've seen Rami move things big before. <laughs> have you? You could probably lift that whole statue right over his head. Right, Rami? I definitely could. I just don't want to right now. Well, neither would I. We got, we got a plan to refuel. 
I'm scared. <laughs> well, I guess there's nothing to it but to uh, follow, follow the tracks. Guess I'm uh, leading the way since I got the light, unless uh, one of the good doctors want to take point, being that, you know, this is your area of expertise. Drag marks in the sand is my area of expertise. No, I think no. not. The, the science of it. I'm just here to take photos. <laughs> the science of drag marks in the sand. You can follow a line in the sand, my friend. I believe in you. I oh, mean, she's you quite can testy. study anything these days. <laughs> just go. I guess I'll lead the way into the uh, the dark hole in the ground with my flashlight. This is a tunnel. Uh, it is a hewn tunnel. You can tell from the tool marks and blasts that someone dug this tunnel out. Um, it's 10 by 10. So there's plenty of space for you guys to walk through it. Uh, once you start flashing your light around, you notice a few things. Um, first, off to the right is a the remnants of a wooden track. Um, this would have been, uh, Elena can tell that just with her mechanical expertise that this is a mine cart track for a sled. Um, someone was pulling rocks out of here as they dug. Uh, there's also blast marks from dynamite and uh, pickaxe marks from digging. The floor shows two sets of footprints now with the, uh, with the fuel tank. Um, but one set is lighter, as if someone might be being dragged. Was there, like, a train down here? Uh, well, a, a cart, a mine cart, if you will. Cool. You can continue walking for about ten minutes, and then the walls abruptly change. Hmm. Uh, from hewn rock to carved stone. Um, here, there is a torch on the ground, a lit torch. That's kind of starting to sputter out, but it still has some flame on it. And it's illuminating the rest of this uh, area. On the walls, you see carved pictograms um, depicting uh, hooded uh, characters walking towards a door. The door directly in front of you, which is framed by the giant open mouth of a snake. The door itself uh, is ajar a bit, but you can tell on the front of it is blue flame in the mouth of the snake. To the left, you see some pickaxes uh, that the wood has rotted off of, and a crate marked uh, dynamite. I'm going to hand Rami my flashlight and uh, pull out my uh, camera and start snapping a few photos. Sure. Uh, the flash from your camera illuminates the walls more, and you can see that they're gilded, uh, the flash bouncing around the room. Uh, some of you kind of... Guard your eyes quickly. I definitely don't warn you that I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and you can tell that the, there's a bit of an extra sparkle on the flames in the snake's mouth. You guys, I don't think we should be here. I'm pretty scared. Well, what, do you, what do you suggest, Ram? I mean, we go up and, uh, and die in the desert because we can't get back to camp? I just got a bad feeling about the snake. Well, perhaps the snake represents your subconscious. Well, let's What's take a let's mean? take a closer a closer look. Let's take a closer look. Um, I'm interested actually in the hooded figures. Sure. So if you kind of check out these pictograms, uh, you see these lines of hooded figures wearing these red robes. Um, they're you're not entirely well versed in Egyptian pictograms, but you can tell that these are slightly off from humanoid figures. Um, they're, they seem to be kind of hunched. While these are primitive pictograms, you can still kind of get some information. They are making their way towards this snake mouth um, in lines, as if coming to some sort of gathering. 
Have I ever seen these images before? Go ahead and roll that for me. Yeah. You remember uh, from uh, Dr. Carter's uh, expedition to find King Tut's tomb Mm -hmm. that uh, similar pictograms, but nothing like this. Um, The colors are incredibly intact. Mm -hmm. Uh, The gold is still on the walls. Uh, This place hasn't been looted. Just from the look of everything, you can tell that this has been here for a very, very, very long time. I mean, judging by the depth you went down into the ground alone, that this is not like something that was just made. The door is slightly ajar, enough to fit one or two people in. And then there is a crate in the corner. Oh, yeah. I want to look in the crate that says dynamite. Yeah. You find two sticks of dynamite. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to shove those in my worn leather bag. You get both? All right. Unless somebody wants the second stick. I'm I'm happy to share. I would gladly take one for research purposes. I I got no problem giving the scientists some dynamite. Wonderful. And then there's a couple of pickaxes, but they look to be pretty worse for the wear, um, as well as the torch burning by the the door's entrance. Uh, I want to take a quick look at the uh, snake's mouth. You said the material there was probably something different. Right. So the door is framed with this snake's mouth, and the actual door has this blue flame. And taking a better look at it, you can tell that these are sapphires. Hundreds of them intricately placed around the door to create this flame motif. I take another photo very close up, right next to the scientist's face. Is there any way to chip a few of them out with my mechanics tools? Get away uh, from yeah, me. Yeah, you could do that. I would say you could do that with a strength roll. What color are the snake's eyes that were in the doorway, the snake statue? Red. I don't think you should mess with this snake thing. So are you actively yeah. standing, like, Second prying out gems from Yeah, the these are precious stones. They belong in a museum or the bank in my uh, account. I'm no, no archaeologist, but that, that sounds like uh, looting to me. Flautland, <laughs> that's just bad idea. Why is it a bad idea? Don't do it. I have a bad feeling. Fine, <laughs> but next time we go to a restaurant and I could have bought dinner with sapphires, someone else is treating me. My treat. <laughs> <laughs> I leave it alone. Did someone pick the torch up? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pick the torch up. Uh, you can tell that after you pick it up, it's made with a piece of shirt mm. um, and uh, is covered covered in gasoline. Okay. Or, I'm sorry. Like, is it a familiar shirt? Petrol. Petrol. Yeah. Uh, okay. it's, well, no, I guess you couldn't tell because it's mostly burned at this point. Uh, but well, it's cloth and it's new. Hint. The, the wood on it looks to be as if it was part of the, the door. Interesting. Didn't you say earlier that a human was being, like, maybe hauled through here? Possibly. And now there's clothes being taken off of a human. This is not great. Well, and, and we're missing two humans from our... Uh... <laughs> Astute observation. <laughs> I'm going to peek through the door using the torch to light the way since I've handed Rami my flashlight. Uh, so uh... as you look in through this door, uh, the area opens up. Mm-hmm. You can see that there's a high ceiling about 50 feet up. Um, you can get a glimpse in and see a large statue down a ramp mm-hmm. uh, in front of which are two braziers that have been lit. Okay. Um, so there's some light in here as well. There also seems to be light coming from underneath. Uh, as you look a little closer, you can tell it's a platform okay. uh, a ra- uh, over another level. Does the light underneath look solid or is it flickering? It's flickering. Okay, so. These are big braziers. Big braziers. They're, they're like, um, almost like, you know those, 
know those big Weber grills? Not yeah. the regular ones, but like the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they had an, like the big Weber grills they had in ancient Egypt. Okay. <laughs> those 30s Egyptian Weber grills. Right, right, right. Like the, you know, the second millennia BC Weber grills. Are, are s'mores, mm. s'mores, were those things in the 30s? Can I make a s'mores joke? <laughs> you can make hey, one. Anybody bring uh, marshmallows? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> Is this? <laughs> Ramsey's foreman. What, describe the, the floor. Is it a platform above another level? Yeah, so the, uh, when you enter in, you're just peeking at this point. Um, yeah. It's uh, a slow slope with raised sides. Oh, and you can tell under the sides is light coming up. Uh, the oh. room is cavernous. It's about 50 feet up, and then there is a, a statue straight ahead that you can't get a great read on yet because the, the, with the light that's flickering. Mm -hmm. um, but it goes almost all the way up to this 50-foot ceiling. Given that there's, like, fire under a platform that I could see through, I'm worried that it's maybe unstable. I'd like to maybe extend a foot and just give it a couple stomps before putting, like, all of our weight on it. Yep. It is solid stone. Great. Tight. It looks to be built into uh, whatever the structure is, um, but you are definitely looking at a structure, not okay. a cavern, because the walls are... Uh, geometrically uniform. Okay. I'm going to walk into the room and I'm going to again call out uh, doc Dr. Laird. Your voice bounces across um, and you can hear it kind of echo down below as well. You're standing in a large chamber. Uh, 50 feet up is the ceiling and the walls <laughs> slant down. Uh, Elena is quietly sneaking backwards to try and get some sapphires while everyone else is distracted. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Here's my strength check. No. <laughs> uh, no, I missed it by a point. You I gotta spend the luck. I don't want to. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you try it. It's just a character moment. Yeah. It doesn't. I didn't. It's fine. You try and wiggle them off, but they're they're pretty well in there. Um, you would you think you would need a, a bit of a minute? I quickly dart back to the group as if nothing happened. <laughs> Down this ramp, uh, it opens up, and you can see a large circular floor in front of you. To your left is a st another statue. This statue goes up about halfway as high as the large statue in front of you, mm -hmm. but it goes down to the lower level. You can see about half of it. It's a humanoid figure with a snake for a head. Oh. To the right is another one of these statues, except this one has crashed down onto the platform in front of you. Its head is missing. Guys, what if we went and waited for someone to rescue us? I think that's probably the smartest. No, no, we got, we, we got to find what happened to the good doctor and the pilot. I just don't, I don't, don't, don't know who you think is going to rescue us, my friend. I mean, doesn't yeah. seem like an option that's exactly available to us. Um, so, in regards to, so we, we have the snake head and we have the other figure. Is there any reason that I should believe it also wasn't a snake head? Uh, no, this figure is almost identical, except it is missing its head. Is its head roughly the same size as the snake head outside? Yeah, it's, you could, it's the one outside. You figure, yeah, you've solved my puzzle. Um, <laughs> the the snake, it is the one from outside. Okay. Well, because this is just so fascinating and, you know, psychoanalytically speaking, I need to figure out what's going on in my own head um, regards uh, reasons. I want to um, sort of examine that fallen statue to see if I can figure Great. it out. Great. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to keep snapping photos. 
How much, uh, how it's much a film do you have? Spot hidden is I brought lots of film. Yeah. You did it. You don't seem to see anything odd about the statue. It's made of the same stone. But as you're investigating it, the fallen one on the ground, you notice these grooves in the circular floor. And as you follow them around, there's these larger circles at certain points. And it clicks with you after about a minute that this is a accurate representation of our solar system. I think I have something here, guys. This is, this is the solar system. In the middle of the floor is uh, a golden disc, and you've deduced that this represents the sun. There are three concentric rings coming out, representing Mercury, Venus, and Earth. You've also, while looking into this this depiction of the solar system, uh, checked out the rest of this room. Um, there's a door on the far east side of the room and a ramp going deeper into this uh, structure Go on the west side of the room. The south end of the room is still this large, imposing statue, which you can't make out the top of because it's so tall. I'd like to look at the, give a closer look to the sun. Okay. Yeah, it's a gold disc. It's gilded the same way as the wall is outside. Um, but you can tell that the planets are in a strange order um, of their orbits around the sun. And each one is made of another disc uh, painted. Are you going to try to take that sun, lady? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about it at all. Are there any, uh, like... Is it is it dusty at all? Are there footprints? Can we kind of see where? Uh, give me a spot. Twenty-five. Uh, you're looking for footprints. It's not very dusty. Um, but behind one of the braziers by the statue, as you're looking around, you see a skeleton. Skeleton. Oh I'm gonna, gosh. I'm gonna go take a. Oh, looks like we got a got some company here. Uh, it is a skeleton. Um, it's pretty well preserved because of the the nature of where we are. Its yeah. skin is kind of leathery around its bones. Uh, you could say it's maybe like 20 years old. It wears uh, British military fatigues. It has a rifle, um, and in its hand it clutches a piece of paper. Gonna, I'm going to reach down for that piece of paper. By the flickering light of the brazier, you read, Dearest Olivia, I hope this letter finds you well. By now you will have been notified of my desertion of my post along with two others in my company. I had hoped to inform you of my intentions in person, however. I fear I may never leave this foul pit I have found myself in. In brief, Jacobs, a member of our unit, disappeared a few weeks back. We all assumed he had deserted. But lo and behold, ten days ago he returned to camp. He claimed he'd found a treasure in the desert. Phillips and I were quick to dismiss his obvious ramblings until he produced a dagger, ornate and ancient. At this we swept out, taking our equipment and pilfering a case of dynamite, dig tools, and an auto. We arrived at this accursed place a week ago, seeing the snake's head statue in the sand. Jacobs commanded we stop. We began digging immediately and blasting, once we were able. Phillips took the auto back to outpost near cover of night a few days in and brought more tools and petrol. We broke through yesterday. Jacobs immediately wrenched the door open, using strength we hadn't seen while digging. Using some of the petrol, he lit the braziers and began descending without Phillips and I. Phillips rushed ahead, but I stayed behind, not eager to lose my footing in a strange cavern. After a few moments, I heard Phillips scream. I rushed down below to find Jacobs pulling his ancient dagger from Phillips' eye. I readied my rifle and fired a shot. I heard Jacobs gasp, and then he was running toward me. 
I made my way up the ramp before I felt the cutting pain in my ankles. The bastard had hamstrung me. I turned over as he brought the knife down onto my shoulder. I managed to get another shot off, and he jumped up and ran out, out the way we, we had entered. <clears throat> then I heard the door slide shut. I've managed to drag myself under this grotesquity of a statue. I started writing this in order to keep from going mad before I bled out. It was good to think of you in this time, my love. And that's it. That's a scary story. That's ah, more sad than scary. Uh, well, I guess it is kind of scary. The dagger makes people crazy. The dagger makes people crazy. Am I the only one thinking that? You don't know that. Maybe, maybe uh, this Jacob's character was crazy all along. I think the dagger makes people crazy. Is that your scientific observation? It's my common sense observation. I'm connecting some very obvious dots. I have never found a dagger that made people crazy before. Although that does look like the dagger that, uh, sounds like the dagger that Dr. Laird had when right. she came back. Not that I like Freud, but daggers, <laughs> snakes, that's all I'm saying. There's also some very interesting <laughs> things going on, some, uh, some commonalities between this story and ours. Running off, taking the petrol, lighting the braziers. Where are we going to find Mr. Uh, Flanagan down here with a knife in his stomach? Or through his eye? There's a... He has a rifle, as well as a, a, a helmet. Rami, did you, uh... You know how to use a rifle. You know your way around a gun. I can take it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't feel like I need the helmet, necessarily, because I have goggles. What do you have, Wilhelm? Oh, oh, see, I think that Ram Man needs the helmet. Okay, <laughs> just give it all to Ram Man. <laughs> you Matt. know what else? Sometimes I get a little crazy with my head. <laughs> you know, this is going to make an excellent story if we can find this Olivia person. I hope she's still alive. I mean, assuming we get out of here. I think, yeah, well, we could deliver the letter to her. It sounds, I don't think she's anywhere around. From, from this vantage, underneath the statue, uh, with your torch up, you're, you're now pushing more light onto it. The stone that it's carved out of is black like this stone you saw outside, except that this doesn't seem to be reflecting the light, absorbing it. And as the light moves up, you see a, a more grotesque snake head, but in the place of where you would see a traditional pharaoh's garb are the two uh, fins of a cobra working its way down. Uh, it holds crossed across its arms um, a sword and an, in, uh, a scepter with an inverted ankh. So like we're all Egyptian people snakes. I didn't really pay attention in my classes. No, no, Rami. Egyptians were not snakes. But like some of them maybe? I mean, there's snakes in Egypt to be sure. <laughs> Okay, but could they walk? They, no. They, they could not. <laughs> they could okay. not walk. Okay. We'll, well see. Well, I think if we want to find Mr. Uh, Flanagan alive anytime soon, we should uh, keep going and see if we can locate uh, Dr. Dr. Laird. I sigh heavily, pull my goggles down over my eyes, and draw my death ray. <laughs> All right. My death ray glows with this eerie blue shine. <laughs> That's a pretty cool gun, lady. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, you have this ramp or this door. I'm going to vote for the door. Yeah, we read about the ramp in the letter, and it didn't seem to go a very nice place. Let's try door. Door. Uh, yeah, these are uh, stone doors. They're not as thick as the door you came in earlier. Um, and you open it up. There are two 
uh, decrepit looking benches in the middle of the room, as well as these alcoves uh, spaced out every couple of feet. Um, Each one has a peg in it. Um, Some hold the remnants of cloth, crimson cloth, um, and they all hold a uh, wooden mask. I'd like to look closer at the masks. Yeah, they're wooden masks. You can tell they were once painted, um, but in the time the paint has kind of come off. Uh, but they're all intricate carved snakes' faces. Can they be? Can they be picked up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, We're... I'm not the only one who wants to put one of these masks on just for. Uh... I don't want to put one on. But Come on, I... put one on, Doc. I'll take a photo of you. Nope. I'll put one on. These are the least scary things I've seen all day. Excellent, Rami. Let me get a photo of you with that mask on. I want to put a mask up to my face. Yeah. So they're yeah. They have no backing. You can tell that they were probably held with like a leather band or something that's since uh, disintegrated. Um, but yeah, you just put it up to your face, and now you look like a snake. Boo! I'm an Egyptian. <laughs> I, I snapped like, several. I would like to take one of these. <laughs> Great. Because now I'm the tomb robber. <laughs> I want to take one and really, I don't know if there's anything to this, but, you know, hold it up to the light, look through the eye holes, knock on it, just see if there's anything about its construction or engraving that I could learn from. Yeah, they're all pretty identical. Uh, They're handmade, carved. Um, They're nice, uh, but there's nothing out of the ordinary about them other than the fact that you found them, uh, you know, hundreds of yards under the ground. Okay, I'll take one and I'll try to like wear it on top of my head because I already have my goggles over my eyes. I'll take one and shove it in my worn leather bag. Yeah, you can't actually mount them to your head because there is, like I said, no way to affix them. Um, But yeah, you all have one of these masks. All right, I guess down the ramp it is unless there's anything else in this... uh, just these old cloaks that are more uh, just like rags, rags at this point. Than are anything. they red? Yes. Heck yeah. <laughs> oh. I wanna, um, I wanna, uh, similar to before, just like grab one and give it a shake. It disintegrates. Um, as you pick it up, the cloth um, finally gives up the ghost and just kind of disintegrates down into the ground. Welp. This seems to be the same uh, garb as each of those figures in the pictograms were wearing. Mm-hmm. But there were more of them in the pictograms. There's maybe about a dozen of these alcoves here. All right, well, I guess uh, down the ramp we go. Down the ramp we go. To be continued. In today's story, I sure was busy. Boy, did that hurt. Ramming things may look like fun, but it really isn't. Trying to use your head the way I do is not only dangerous, <laughs> it's dumb. I mean, you could get hurt badly. So listen to Rammy, play safely, and when you use your head, use it the way it was meant to be used, to think. <laughs> Until later, so long. Listen to your Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. <laughs>